to the book of Luke. You can rise for the reading of God's Word. Let's go to verse 26. Oh, let's go back to chapter 1, rather. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hands. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the ho that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time of year. Lord, that we can just reflect and remember in, in, in a different kind of way. How much you love us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We often reflect on the cross, and, and that really brings our hearts. As we see our crucified Savior on the cross, it brings us to a place of of worship, we, we speak of the resurrection. We thank you for this time of year, Lord, where we can remember the, the, uh, the manger, which is a horse's trough or a donkey's feeding trough that our Savior was, was laid into when he was born. Just the, the lowest, humblest, even the most demeaning Places to lay a baby. He was laid there, Lord. The Son of God, Lord Jesus. 
You're the Alpha and the Omega. You existed from eternity past and you came to a manger, a horse's trough. What does that mean? Show us, tell us, speak to us today, Lord, about your coming into the world, about what you want us to know, about something that will change us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Many, many times I have been asked the question, actually, Solomon, it's a little cool in here. Can we make it a little less cool? So many times for the last 17 years as a pastor, but then a couple decades before that, I've been asked the question, how do you know the Bible is true? How do you know what people talk about on Christmas? How, how do you know that that is true? There's so many stories out there. There's so many competing claims to the truth. And usually, at least probably for the last 10 years, I respond this way. I, I tell the person, would, would God create the world, spin it on its axis, and then back off and leave it up to everyone's best guess to figure out who he is. Would he do that? And then I tell whoever it is I'm talking to, I tell them, I, I have five children. If I had brought these five children into the world and then purposely and intentionally just disappeared, which happens so often today, I think most people in the world would call me cruel, and they would agree. How much more so, if, if, that, if, if that would be true of a man, then why would it not be true of God? It would be true. If, if he just created the world, spun it on its axis, and then disappeared and left it up to everyone's best guess, I'm going to leave it up to you to figure out who I am. So people are coming up with thousands of different conclusions with no, really no way of, of finding specifically who he is. He would be indeed cruel. That God would be cruel. God is not a cruel God. He's a loving Father. And He has not created the world, spun it on its axis, and then left everyone to their best guess to figure out who He is. He has provided very specific ways uh, to get to know Him. Number one, He's given us His Word, the Word of God, this tried and tested document that people have been unsuccessfully trying to discredit for thousands of years. They can't do that. They can't do that. They never will. It's the Word of God. He's given us that to get to know Him in a very specific way 
but also he's given us his son. The Bible says in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image. Some translations, I believe, say the express image of the invisible God. So in the word, in, in, in this very long document in which God gives us a very specific way to get to know him, the Christmas story is laid out, among other places, the book of Luke. Now, the book of Luke is actually a letter. It's written to a man named Theophilus. If you go to, actually, go to first one of chapter one. Let's read the first four verses of this letter. Luke chapter one. So this is Luke. And he, sa- he begins this way. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Theophilus, who is this man And it says at the end of verse 3, named Theophilus. This letter was written to Theophilus. Really, there's just a couple of clues as to who this man is. One of those clues at the end of verse 3, it's just what he's called. He's called Most Excellent Theophilus. And Luke calls Theophilus Most Excellent. And the fact that Theophilus is called most excellent here means at least two things. Number one, he's got a lot of money, he's wealthy, and number two, he's powerful. He had some kind of position in government or society where he wielded a lot of power. He had a lot of money, number one, and he had power. Now, There are two other people in the New Testament who are called most excellent, just like Theophilus. It's in the book of Acts. Book of Acts, also written by the very same person, Luke. And Luke calls in the book of Acts two two people um, by this same title. The first is in Acts chapter 4. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 24 is going on trial before Felix, the Roman governor, Felix. And and he is referred to in Acts chapter 24 as most excellent Felix. When Paul shares with Felix the truth about God and Jesus, Felix becomes afraid and sends him away. In Acts chapter 26... 
Paul again appears before a Roman governor. Again, he goes on trial. And the trial this time is uh, by a Roman governor by the name of Festus, who Paul calls most excellent Festus. So in Acts 26, Paul again is put on trial. He's speaking not only to the Roman governor Festus, he's also uh, speaking to a king, King Herod Agrippa, and he shares with Festus and Agrippa the truth about God and Jesus. And it says that after he laid out the truth about God and Jesus, Festus, most excellent Festus, cries out, Paul, you're out of your mind. All this learning has driven you insane. You're crazy. Most excellent people, people who are, have a lot of money and who are powerful, usually don't like the truth. We know one thing about uh, Theophilus, that, that he, he's most excellent. He's got a lot of power. He's got a lot of money. He probably doesn't like the truth. The reason they don't like the truth is because the truth has a lot to say about what to do with your money, and it has a lot to say about what to do with your power, and people with a lot of money and a lot of power don't like being told to do with their money and power. So they usually don't like the truth. Now you, Calvary Chapel in the city... You are most excellent. You know why? Because you got a lot of money and you got a lot of power. And you're thinking, who me? You're kidding me. He doesn't know me. He hasn't seen my bank account. And I, my response to that is, we have a missions trip to Haiti in April. Please, when the sign-up sheet comes out, sign up and you go there with me and you will see, and you will discover that you're rich and you're powerful. Because guess what? The powerful have what? Choices. You have choices, every single one of you, that the people of Haiti, that is 95% of them, they don't dream, even at this point, so many of them, of having the same choices that you do. So if you will, most excellent Calvary Chapel, let, let's, uh, let's continue here. It, it, it says, um, you know, one thing, um, one thing I, 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 want to, I want to emphasize here is that this guy, Luke, and, and it's really, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God. He loves the excellent and the powerful the rich and the powerful, the people that have a lot of money and a lot of power. He loves them. Uh, man may look, we may look at who we think are rich and powerful and we may not like them because they get so much power. They get, get so much money, but not so God. In fact, in Mark 10, it says of the man who Jesus says, uh, who Jesus describes, he describes a man in Mark 10, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. Uh, in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Jesus loved that man. 
He loves you, Calvary Chapel in the city, even though you're loaded with money and power. He loves you. It says of that rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, Jesus loved him. So could it be that this Theophilus in Luke chapter 1, he didn't like the truth. Because the truth tells him what he needs to do with his money and his choices. And he doesn't like that. And we don't like that. So anyway, it, notice how it says um, in, in verse 3, again, of chapter 1, it says, It seemed good to me also uh, having a perfect understanding of, of the things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. The certainty, it says. Now, in the original Greek, that's the word asphaleia. And that word asphaleia, which is the English word certainty here, is used two other times in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 5, in the, in the ESV, that same word is translated securely locked of a prison cell. Speaking of a prison cell that was securely locked, asphaleia, same word as Luke uses here um, with Theophilus that I wanted to tell you of the certainty of the things um, uh, uh, about Jesus. Securely locked, meaning they, th- these, this truth that may- maybe Theophilus you're trying to wiggle off of, it's absolutely, positively, without a shadow of a doubt, truth. Last Tuesday night, Jordan gave a message, and he began about telling about all, the, the, a favorite expression in the world now is, live your truth, brother, live your truth, sister. Live your truth, my man, my sis, live your truth. The problem is, is live your truth, they're talking about 100,000 different kinds of truth there. And as soon as you start saying, well, there's, I really don't have a truth, but the Bible had, that's the truth. Everyone starts going, whoa. But, but, but here you see, he, he says, I want to tell you the certainty that secured, locked, like a secure prison cell, truth of the things that have happened among us. So, where does Luke go? Before, where's this, where's he go with this guy who's got a lot of money and power? And could be that this guy, like others with money and power, but virtually everyone, describes my heart, we don't like the truth because it tells us what to do with our money and our power and our choices. Where's he go? Well, before we get to the verses that we started off this morning, I, I, I I, I just want to mention this. It's interesting how he starts not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of John, John the Baptist in chapter 1. He shares, Luke does, with most excellent Theophilus, the story about the angel coming to the parents of John the Baptist, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And how the angel told them that even though they were both elderly, they would give birth to a son. Even in her old age, Elizabeth would have a son. 
and that their son would be the one to announce the coming of the Messiah. So that way Jesus doesn't just show up and say, hey, everybody, listen to me, I'm somebody. Never happens. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, and this was prophesied in the Old Testament, he was, Jesus was to be preceded by a man who would announce his coming, and the person, John the Baptist, who would announce it, he wouldn't be an ordinary guy or even an ordinary-looking guy. He would be consecrated from birth, a Nazarite, just like Samson, just like Samuel, meaning no wine or strong drink, no razor on his head, meaning he got really long hair. John the Baptist. And he ate locusts and honey. And what was his skin? Was it camel skin? It was John the Baptist. And, and, and so he was an odd-looking fellow, but it does say of him that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a righteous man. So the angel tells Zacharias and his wife, actually just tells Zacharias, um, that he would, his wife would uh, give birth to this uh, John the Baptist, and, and what happened? Zacharias didn't believe the angel, and, and then what happened next? Read with me, please, verse 19. It says, in verse 18, it says, Zacharias doesn't believe the angel. Verse 19 says, and the angel answered and said, okay, now wait a second. <laughs> this is essentially what it is. Wait a second. I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was, uh, was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. So right off, what is true? Luke tell most excellent Theophilus, he, he tells him that God doesn't take it lightly when people who are given the truth choose not to believe it. Listen, most excellent Theophilus, there are consequences with God when you resist the truth. Never mind that the truth is telling you what to do with your money and your choices. There's gonna be consequences if you, if you continue not to believe them. Human beings, at least in the United States of America, are so carefree about the truth. Live your truth, sister. Live your truth, brother. Live your truth, sister, brother, sister. Live your truth. As if there's 100,000 different truths. Not so. They're so carefree about it. And what's the Holy Spirit telling our country? Listen, most excellent Americans, there's one truth. Are you going to believe it? And so then he goes to the birth of Jesus, where we started this morning. So let's go to verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Now in the sixth month, I mean six months after John the Baptist was conceived... Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. All caps. So most excellent Theophilus gets this letter and he sees the name Jesus in all caps and he sees something that we don't see. What do you mean, Pastor Steve? Well, Theophilus is Greek. He's a Greek man. He speaks Greek. He reads Greek. We know this because of his name, Theophilus. It's a Greek name. When he reads the name Jesus, he would have read this. God saves. Jehovah saves. That's what Theophilus, most excellent Theophilus, would have read. So Theophilus is told that this child would be a savior. And, and, and most excellent Theophilus is going to be told this over and over and over and over and over and over again in the book of Luke from beginning to end that this child, this man is a savior. In fact, between uh, this verse, verse 31 and the end of chapter 2, Theophilus is told that Jesus is savior five times. Five times. That he is a Savior. So if you want to just skip forward to verse 69, this is Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, um, saying, and, 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 and God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, speaking of Jesus there. And then verse 76, it says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Chapter 2, verse 11, an angel talking to the shepherds right after the birth of Jesus says to them in verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Later on in chapter 2, in verse 30, this is Simeon who receives the baby Jesus in the temple. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord. Now, interestingly enough for Theophilus, a Greek, in verse 32, it, um, he also cries out, a light to bring that Jesus, this baby, is a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles or the Greeks. So this is not just a Jewish thing. So Theophilus, raising his eyebrows, he's a savior uh, for me as well. And so um, time and time again, he is told that this baby is a savior. Now, it continues in, in John chapter 3. By this time, by John chapter 3, John the Baptist 
is grown up. There's about 30 years passed by uh, between chapter 2 and 3, and John the Baptist is grown up, and he is announcing the coming of Jesus. He's announcing it, and in verse three, verse 4 rather, um, of uh, chapter 3, there's a description of what John the Baptist is doing. It says there, you can read along with me, he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low, and crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough, rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the what? Salvation of God. So there's the word again. Salvation. Jesus, this baby Jesus, is going to bring salvation. So Theophilus is, is reading this, and by this time, I hope he's thinking salvation from what? What, what, is, what do I need to be saved from? What does the world need to be saved from? Why this theme? Why over and over am I being told that this baby, this Messiah, this, this person is, is, is going to be a savior? Why do I need a savior? Well, he would have had to look no further than the next verse, verse 7 of chapter Three, where John the Baptist, it says this, it says, Then he, John the Baptist, said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers. You snakes, vipers, snakes. You brood of snakes. You congregation of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Now that's speaking, the wrath to come, that's speaking of the wrath, the anger, the judgment of God. Jesus would come to bring salvation from the wrath, the judgment of God. God, just, God doesn't just look at sin. And, and, and wink his eye and not punish it, not judge it, not get angry, not have wrath. And, 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 and John the Baptist is saying, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And so Jesus would be the one to save them, to, to save a fleeing soul. I spoke about, I think it was Revelation chapter 20 a couple Sunday mornings ago, about how in the book of, in the, in the day of judgment, it says those who see the face of Jesus, they will flee from that face. This is at the end times, the day of judgment. But, but that's what the salvation is from. That's what most excellent Theophilus, this man with um, a lot of power, a lot of money, a lot of choices, 
and could be that he was uh, refusing to accept the truth because I don't want my choices to be made by anyone other than me. It sounds like us. But now he's realizing, okay, could it be that at this point he's realizing, I need to take this really seriously. This has raised his eyebrows. This is a good thing because this is a very long letter. (laughs) So it's got his attention here. So uh, Jesus is a savior. He's going to come to bring salvation. Now, three years from now, in the same book, the book of Luke, in chapter 13, as Jesus comes in to Jerusalem, he's going to be coming in for his uh, crucifixion, Uh, most excellent Theophilus is going to read this verse right here. This is Jesus speaking to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and uh, stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You notice here, the, the, just the picture of a, of a savior trying to gather, protect the, the, the people from from a coming wrath, a coming judgment, but they were not willing. And then most excellent Theophilus, uh, most excellent Theophilus who very well could have been uh, resisting the truth. I don't want anyone to control my choices. He reads in uh, Luke 19, it says this. Now as he, 19 verses 41 through 44, now as Jesus drew near, speaking again of Jerusalem, he's just about to be crucified, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, this was their day, they had the visitation from Jesus Christ. This was their day, but, but he says, if you, even you, especially in this, your day, If you only knew the things that make for your peace. Jesus is our peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Visitation from who? Their Savior. By the way, literally fulfilled in A.D. 70, Jerusalem destroyed, but ultimately fulfilled in the last day of judgment, the Bible says. So Theophilus uh, finds out that Jesus is a Savior. His very name, Jesus, means Savior. And that... um, he finds out that Jesus was sent into uh, the world as a savior because man has gotten him, himself into a heap of trouble with, with God. Jesus came to save, save man from the wrath, the judgment of God. So what else does he find out? Well, let's continue reading in Luke chapter 1. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Let's begin again in verse 31 of Luke chapter uh, one, it says this, uh, this is the angel, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary. And he says, and behold, you will uh, conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. 
and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Okay. So here, what else does most excellent Theophilus find out? He already found out that Jesus was Savior. What does he find out here? That he's a king. That he is a king. And that his kingdom will last forever. It says at the end of verse 33, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So let's pause. Why don't we pause here and think about, so I wonder how he's reacting to this. How do I react to this? How do I react to the news that Jesus is not only a savior, but he's a king? So I'm not sure what Theophilus thought of, of kings. I would imagine that he probably thought kings were, were ruthless because they were. He, pro- he probably thought about kings that um, their highest priority, uh, well, their highest th- three priorities a-, a-, a king had were me, myself, and I. He, 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 he probably had those notions of kings. I do know what we know uh, in America, what we think of kings. Uh, uh, I tell you, I don't get it. When, when there's news about like the royals flying into this country and, and the media, I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? I mean, no disrespect at all, but we don't believe in monarchy. Remember American... America as a democracy? Why? Because monarchy was a failure. Why was monarchy, why were kings a failure? Well, we already discussed it, sort of, because man has a sin problem. He's got a sin problem, and when your three priorities are me, myself, and I, you don't make a good king. You don't make a good queen. C.S. Lewis says this about this subject. He said, mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows, which, by the way, that's what a king was um, at this time. No man uh, can be uh, trusted with unchecked power over his fellow. Aristotle said that uh, some people were fit only to be slaves. I do not contradict him, but I reject slavery because I see no men fit to be masters or kings, right? So, 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 so he's a king. He's a king where no man is fit to be a king? But what if? What if this king was 
always without exception, loving. An all-loving, always-loving king. What if this king was always without exception good? An all-good, always-doing-good king. What if this king was always without exception just and all just, always just, always fair, always, every single time, always fair in all his dealings with every human being, fair and just. And what if this king was always without exception powerful, all powerful, always powerful, his power Limitless. And what if this king was God? Let's continue reading. Let's go read verse 33 again. It says, he will reign over uh, the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. But then Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be since I do not know a man? I've never had sex with a man. How can I, how will I be conceived? How is it? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So this king, most excellent Theophilus, he's not going to be like a human king. This king is God. This king is God. The, the, in verse 35, the translation in the ESV is a little different. It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. He's holy. This king is, he's not only a savior, he's not only a king, but he is holy. What is holy? It's the term we throw around a lot. Holy is all that God is. All that God is. That's holy. If, you're, if, if you are holy, you look and act a lot like God. But the Son of God is going to be holy, as in perfectly holy. <laughs> Meaning he, he's going to be filled with love because uh, because the character, the, the essence of who God is, is love. He is going to be filled with joy because God rejoices. Remember what the faithful, good and faithful servant hears when he, he, he dies and he comes to be with God. He's going to be greeted by Jesus. Well done, uh, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The Lord rejoices a billion times more than any of us could ever rejoice. 
And, and what if your king was going to be a, a, a king of joy like that? Or, or again, he's just, in, in, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, when, when Moses asks God to show his glory, show me who you are, God, it says this of God, this is a picture of holiness, it says the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, that means patience to the hundredth power. That's what long-suffering means. And abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. I want a king like that. I want a king like that. I need a king like this. Brothers and sisters, most excellent Calvary Chapel, you people filled with choices that you're guarding so closely, you're right to make the choices in the way that you want to. There's a wrath, a judgment of God hanging over that insistence of keeping on, of laying hold of your rights, your choices. You need this Savior. You need this King. You need Him. He came to save you. He came to save you as your Savior. We're going to have communion now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And also, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. Theophilus has a lot more reading after chapter 2 and 3. Eventually, what he's going to read is this, 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 this baby boy, this child, this Savior, this King, this all-loving, all-powerful, filled with joy, just King, would have his Beard plucked out. Can you imagine? Would be scourged with a Roman whip, a Roman flagellum. That's a three or four leather cords filled with little beads of glass and metal. And to have his, his back opened up. Many people died from a Roman flagellum, a, a scourging, just from that alone. He would be beaten unrecognizable on by the time he reaches the cross, Isaiah 52 and 53. The Savior, this baby, who came into a manger, a horse's trough, a donkey's trough, in the most humble of way, not most excellent anything but most excellent in the eyes of the world. Coming as a savior, as a king. This is a time of prayer here at Calvary Chapel. On communion, I, uh, we, we, we love to have communion, but especially on these days which really the, the, 
that the, that the world has misrepresented in the most terrible way what the world is made of Christmas. It's about a savior, a king who came into a feeding trough and then died bloody on a cross. We want to remember that. The Bible says with every communion service, every time that we go to the, the communion table, that it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that a man, a woman, should examine themselves. You should examine yourself. You with all your money and choices in the United States of America. Are you laying hold to a right to the exclusion of a king who came to save you? Are you doing that? Are you trying to wiggle out of the truth like Theophilus may very well have? And, 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 and Luke just comes in here and so and just cuts him to the heart. Are you doing that? As we have this time of, of communion, I, I first want to just encourage any of you who have never made Jesus your king. You've never made Jesus your king. You may have uttered a, a prayer at some point, but you know full well who has control over your choices for the last whatever, six months, six years, 60 years. You know it's you. You know you've never handed those handed the, the, the right, the control of your life over to that king, that King Jesus, that King Jesus who, who was born into a, 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 a horse's trough and he, he died upon a cross. The most humiliating form of death. It was illegal for a Roman to be crucified. It was so humiliating. If you've never done that, come up. Because giving your life to Jesus, just it really takes two words. Yes, Jesus. That's it. In fact, it can, it can really be done in your heart. But the Bible does say, as we talked about a couple weeks ago in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never done that, come on up. It's a, it's a prayer of faith that we, can, that we can lead you to. Or else, if, if you're... Um, If you feel like you're holding on to something, some choice, some right, maybe you're holding on to your money and you shouldn't. You're holding it back from the king. You've made him king in the past. He's your king. There was a time where you didn't hold anything. When you went and you surrendered your life to him, you weren't holding anything back. Now you are. You can come up to pray as well because you don't want to go to the communion table and take of the cup which represents the blood or take of the bread that represents his body the bible says if you're still holding on to that thing and you do that it says you're trampling over the the cross of jesus that's what the bible says not my words it's the truth i speak all this of course to my own heart as well so why don't we uh well let's do this why don't we rise 
as we worship. And then as we're worshiping and praying, at your leisure, you can go back. There's a couple tables in the back where there's cups and there's bread. And just take a cup and bread, return to your seats, and we'll have communion together.